Give your loved ones the gift of warmth and happiness with an original Miki Couture blanket. Whether you need a gift for your family, co-workers, or friends, they all need to stay warm and cozy this holiday season. Our incredibly soft blankets are the perfect gift to celebrate the holidays at any budget. Show them how much you care with a blanket from Miki Couture that will be remembered forever. Begin your holiday shopping at softminkyblankets.com or your nearest Miki location. This is the Average to Savage podcast with Paul Garino. Everyone and anyone, athletes, celebs, and much more. What's up, everybody? I'm back for episode three. I got another special guest, Donald Thomas, former O-lineman in the NFL. Don, what's up? Hey, man, how you doing? Good. How about yourself? Uh, I mean, I can't complain. Yeah. Happy to finally, you know what I'm saying, get on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So let's just jump right into it and just tell me about yourself growing up in West Haven and how you basically got involved in football. Yeah, so uh, I was, you know, born in born in New Haven, grew up in Bridgeport till eighth grade. Parents moved up to West Haven, went to uh, Bailey Middle School for eighth grade, and then went to Career High School in New Haven. And obviously, anyone knows about Career, they don't have a football team, football program. So I tried to play for West Haven high school while still going to career and they were allowing kids to to do that at first if you know whatever sport wasn't offered at their school and last class was they allowed to do that was a 2002 class and i graduated 2003 so they know that about that rule till you know after i played my first two freshman football games for west haven and then they told me i couldn't play anymore so my mom wasn't gonna allow me to switch schools just for football she told me that you know i had to stay at career so yeah. I was so in love with baseball and basketball that it really didn't matter for me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I finished my high school um, schooling at career um, and just played basketball and baseball while I was there. Gotcha. Now, uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but I was reading on uh, Wikipedia that it said you played soccer in high school, too. Is that true or not? <laughs> yeah, so I played uh, <laughs> soccer um, for one year, my sophomore year. I was trying to fill that void for the fall sports. Gotcha. That was not for me. I was too big and slow for uh, for soccer. <laughs> too much running. Gotcha, gotcha. Oh, so if you if you were on the West Haven team, you were going to be on the championship team, two thousand three. Right, exactly. I was kind of salty about it. I didn't try not to even talk about it, but yeah. <laughs> that they, be, that's, they actually that's had, crazy. They had, they had some, some good players um, yeah. while I was in high school. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Rob Jackson was there. I know he was there. <laughs> you ended up going to UConn just as a student, right? Right. Yeah. So I got in strictly on like great on academics. Went there and I just I couldn't you know being a regular student. You go from being you know star athlete to just one of forty thousand you know kids on campus. Yeah. Uh, it was it was a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, you know, sure. I still had I was in that, you know my athletic prime. I was like eighteen years old, so yeah. I had kind of had to figure out what I wanted to do. And I was you know I knew I couldn't play basketball. The point guards were taller than me when I got there. <laughs> I tried, I tried out for the baseball team, and that didn't work out. And, um, so I, and I was like, well, you know, football's a long shot. I haven't to play two, two games my whole life, high school, freshman football at that. Mm-hmm. You know, play at the Division One level. I thought to myself at one point it was virtually impossible. And then once I got around those guys, and they all, you know, I, I realized, like, you know, some of them were bigger than me, obviously, but I, for the most part, I was right in the pack. And I wasn't even lifting yet. So I kind of, you know, figured that I could at least, you know, bang with them a little bit. Crazy idea! I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna, you know, work out and try out for the team. Yeah. How uh, how big were you like going into freshman year at UConn? 
Going into my freshman year, I was probably like 245. I had I graduated high school at like 256, and I lost a lot of weight over the summertime working out and just working. Yeah. Um, and then I got up to about 270-something my freshman year. Yeah. That was like kind of like before I started like lifting and stuff. I was kind of just like eating and partying and going to class and, you know, being a typical freshman. And then, you know, once I kind of buckled down and started working out every day and trying to, you know, really get my mind right for football, I got down about 264, 65 once I finally had a trial for the football team. And that was my weight and, you know, crept up to over 300 by the time I graduated and, you know, went to the, went to the NFL. But yeah. it was a, a constant progression. So, so what ha- Well, so while you were at UConn, what happened? Like you just woke up one day and you were just like, "I'm gonna go try out for the football team." Um. So one of my one of my uh, high school basketball teammates, his his older brother played at UConn okay. while we were in high school. Leandre Dupree played at, at UConn, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, local local from West Haven went to went to UConn, and uh, so I would always see him. And he played guard when I played, and I didn't even know I was gonna play guard at the time. But you know, I always kind of inspired to do that you know he was always in the back of my mind as far as you know getting on the team and I would talk to him and um I just became friends with a few of the you know the, the freshmen mm-hmm. when I was a freshman there um that played football we started hanging out and they all kind of was like man you got to play football look how big you are and I was like you guys are crazy you know and so when their season was over with we they, you know everyone was playing you know basketball in the uh, student gym on Saturday mornings mm-hmm. and basically half the team was there and I kind of really got to see everybody and they all couldn't believe I went to school there. And, you know, long story short, this was like right before Christmas break. And when I went home for Christmas break, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to try out. Yeah. Well, I had to lose, you know? So I just started lifting when I was home. And I was lifting with DeAndre. Because he was already, he had graduated already. So I'm lifting with him every day. And at, we went to LA Fitness for those, you know, that month I was home. And came back to school and continued to lift and work out. Yeah. And uh, finally one day, I saw uh, Coach Edsel running outside on the, the outdoor track and I was in the student gym lifting and I just stopped everything and sprinted out there and ran up to him and was just like, Hey, you know, Hey coach, my name is Donald Thomas, you know, go to school here. You know, I want to, you know, I want to walk on to the football team. He kind of like looked at me like, you go to school here? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right, well, um, well, you know, head on into the football office and we'll get something set up for you. So I went in there and, I guess he had told a few few of the coaches that he seen this kid with some size that came up to him and they could all kind of, you know, had a heads up I was coming in. So when I came in there, talked to the Don Corzine, the head of football operations at the time, they kind of, you know, popped out of their offices to meet me or whatever. And so they initially was going to, you know, put me on defense. So, you know, I met the D coordinator and the D line coach and the linebackers coach and all that. And they set up like a workout for me like a week later and uh, just went through some drills and ran a couple 40s and a couple broad jumps and stuff like that. And, uh, well, you got the athleticism, see what you can do when you put some pads on and learn the game. And um, that was like right before uh, the spring game, so school was almost out. Mm-hmm. So they just told me, you know, you know, we'll, you know, I got a paperwork for the NCAA Clearinghouse and would walk on and stayed up at UConn for the summer and worked out with the team, took a couple classes, and kind of the rest is history. What basically happened after that? You you, you uh, redshirted, right? Yeah, so my sophomore year, I redshirted. Just had to, like, learn the game, so I started yeah. off on defense during training camp. and. So, uh, so you didn't know, like, any of, like, the plays and stuff either? I knew nothing. Uh, uh, they had me at D-tackle, and I lined up, you know, 
uh, as a five technique as a DN. The first time I got in there, I just I didn't know where to line up at. I, you know, it was just mm. it was rough. So you know, I, I kind of you know stepped back and had to watch the older guys go. And Coach Essel saw me one day when I was going to uh, to eat, and he said, "Hey, I'm gonna move you to offense. You know, we're losing seven offensive linemen next year." This would be, you know, your best opportunity to eventually get on the field at some point. And so, of course, I'm shocked. I, I don't, I don't want to play offensive line. I'm like, I'm a defensive guy. Yeah. So I kind of had a, but what I'm going to say, argue with him. Like, you know, yeah. at that point, I'm just a walk on. It's just trying to happy to be here, you know. So I uh, eventually, I uh, just, you know, I go to practice and start learning the game again. And that whole year, I'm on scout team and. Just kind of, you know, just learning and trying to, you know, I was always strong enough, so that wasn't an issue. But it was just kind of more so just like working with yeah. with the God-given ability that I had and just trying to imitate what I saw the older guys do that was right. And I got a chance to, you know, go in there and make a play. That's what I did. So, yeah. you know, my my junior year was like my redshirt sophomore year, and I was they put me on uh, kickoff return, setting the wedge, and I took pride in that. And I was like, you know, game day for me was – everything getting on that field and then just like you know no one really wants to set the wedge and I kind of like look forward to it like I was like looking forward to guys coming down and trying to hit me because I was just trying to destroy him yeah. um, <laughs> again my senior year I was on um I saw my senior year, I earned a scholarship yeah so I, I you know I played sophomore year junior year my senior year I earned a scholarship for my senior for my senior year and then about halfway through the season uh, coach asked me. Coach has asked me to come back for a fifth year. He said I'll be a starter next year. So I started the last two games of the year, excuse me, of my true senior year, and came back as a, you know fifth year senior. Started all twelve games. Uh, first team all Big East. Yep. Uh, got invited to the combine. Got invited to the Hula Bowl. Got invited to the East West Shrine game. Was this like uh, crazy to you? Like all this happening? Yeah, it was. It was. It was insane. It was kind of like. It just, everything happened so fast, you know, like yeah. before I knew it, I was looking at ESPN top five guards, I was number five, yeah. like wow, we really, I only played 12 games, you know, and it was just like, it kind of snowballed, yeah. you know, you know, seniors in college, they, you know, everyone wants to know what their draft rate is, so you go on these websites and look, after like the second game, my name's up there, you know, with a, with a green arrow pointing up next to it, and it's just getting higher and higher and higher as, you know, the weeks go by. Before you know it, you know, it's like, you know, guys, you know, teams are kind of game planning for you and knowing that they want to run, you know, they're going to, you know, we want to run the ball to my side and putting their best D lineman on, you know, on me and stuff like that. So yeah. it was surreal, you know, and then before you know it, I'm at the combine. Before you, you know, well, really, I was at these all star games and I was in shock just seeing, you know, these guys from Florida and yeah. Alabama and, you know, to us, like that, you know, when you're in college, you, play against those teams, those are the heralds of teams that you want to, everybody wants to go to, Michigan yeah, 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 yeah. and, you know, so I'm looking at these guys like, wow, and then I go play up against them, they're no different than me, you know what I mean, like I, I was actually, you know, blocking them like it was nothing, so. Is that, uh, is that is that when you were like, wow, I could really make the NFL? Yeah, yeah, that's when I knew that I could compete at that level. Yeah. That was, that, that, that I, that, you know, well, I knew that I could compete. Yeah. I could have, you know, competed against those guys during the year. Now, still nervous, you know, going to the league, obviously, because those are, it's a, you know, it's, it's different. You know, those are, yeah. you got grown men up there, and you got guys that you, you're a rookie, you're going against a 10 year vet, and those are every trick in the book. So, um, you know, and then once I, you know, got drafted and got up to, you know, got down to Miami, and it was just, it was different, but I still was able to, to 
compete, you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't getting blown back and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I got drafted sixth round in Miami, and I was just grateful to go, you know, really only pretty much play, like, 12, 13 games. Yeah. Were they, um, uh, were they on your radar? Um, no, actually, they weren't. Um, I didn't have a meeting with them at the Combine. I didn't have any phone calls from them. My agent never talked to anybody from Miami. You know, I was, yeah. you know I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to end up in Cleveland or Green <laughs> Bay or uh, Houston. You know, I'm thinking of, you know, there were like a handful of teams that were really showing interest. Yeah. And Miami came out of nowhere. And Bill Parcells actually called me on draft day. And I was more than shocked. In fact, I'm on the phone with, with Coach Parcells and anybody in, yeah. in, in anything, you know. So, funny story, you know, I'm in my room and I'm, I was home in West Haven, and I'm um, like, no one talked to me until I get drafted. So everyone's kind of like, going edge. My mom's in the kitchen cooking. My sister, my parent, my my father's downstairs. And I'm like, don't tell anybody come to the house or anything. I'm in in my room, just like stressing out. Like third round goes by, he told me I won't be there past the fourth. The fourth goes by, I'm like, God, a punter gets drafted in the fifth. I'm like, I'm my life over. So finally, I get a nine five four number call my phone in the sixth round, and I go to pick it up, and they're like. Hello, this is uh, Bill Parcells with Miami Dolphins. And I'm like so in shock. Like, I fumble the phone and hang it up. <laughs> I'm like, oh, so, but you know, it's like a 5,000, 954, whatever, 5,000 number. It's just like the generic, the general number. So I go to call it back, and they're like, Miami Dolphins, like, hey, somebody just called me. I think it was Coach Parcells. Uh, I hung the phone up on him on an accident. And she's like, okay. And then he was calling me again. So I clicked over, and he was like, hey, is everything all right? And I'm like, shit. Yeah. He's like, all right, well, uh, you know, we, we, we want to draft you. And um, I was like, that's perfect. You know, and by that time, I'm like coming out of my room and like running downstairs and I'm like, I'm on the phone with the Dolphins and my parents are going crazy. I'm like, shh. And then like, we look at the TV and um, my name was across the screen, the little highlights go up and it was just crazy. It was nuts after that. Yeah, actually, and personally, I'm a Dolphins fan, so I remember that draft because I remember they were taking Jake Long with the first pick. Yep, yep. And then uh, you were getting some buzz over him, right? So like pumped to go live in Miami. You know what? It really didn't even dawn on me that I was gonna be in Miami until yeah. uh, until like my, all my boys came over and they're like, "Hey, we're coming down. We're coming down. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, to hang out. You know, blah blah blah." I'm like, "Hey, I am gonna be in Miami. That's crazy. Like, yeah. I'm gonna be going there in like a few days to like sign my papers and all that." So yeah. that was crazy within itself. Um, but it really didn't even dawn on me that I was gonna be in Miami until maybe hours after I got drafted. by Tony Sperano, right? Right, yeah. So he's from West Haven too. Did he know you were from West Haven? Sure, that's crazy. I was just like 
some crazy coincidences on there. Right, yeah. So that was a cool little aspect. I thought that would work in my favor, but he didn't show me any type of, you know, any type of favoritism. Uh, that and it was strictly business. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So then you played for the Dolphins for uh, two years, right? Yeah, two, two years. And then you got signed by the Lions, and then but you okay. didn't play in 2010, right? So what happened? Right. Then? Yeah. So I went. So I got released by Miami um, at the end of training camp, and I worked out for probably 15 teams in those 10 weeks that I was off that season. Yeah. Um, I was almost doing two two workouts a week, and finally, you know, worked out for the Lions twice, and they signed me uh, the week of Thanksgiving. So I was there for four games, four or five games, um, and the season off there. Then uh, the lockout happened, and you know, finally we had training camp, and I got released again after training camp. And we played the Patriots in training camp, and I played a really good game. Yeah. And uh, when I got released, you know, they were t- talking to me, and they were like, you know, well, you know, I-, I expect you to get signed here pretty soon. You know, Coach Belichick already uh, called and asked about you. I'm like, yeah, right. You know, but. <laughs> Because you just never know, like, you know, yeah. it's a business, so, you you know, they tell you anything just to keep you cordial before they kick you out the building. So, yeah. I'm just like, you know, yeah, well, I appreciate the opportunity. And lo and behold, literally, I was home. I would fly back to Florida. I'm still living in Miami at the time. I fly back to Miami and I'm home for a week. And literally that week, I go up there on a, that Friday of week one. Cause they were playing a Monday night game, so they kind of had, like, that first week kind of, like not a vibe, but they just had a longer, you know, first yeah. week. I go up there Friday and I work out for them and they were getting ready to go head down to Miami actually to uh, play Miami Monday Night Football. So I fly back to Miami as well after my workout and actually I, Tampa wanted to work me out on uh, Tuesday. So I fly up to my, Tampa from Miami on Tuesday, I mean on Monday morning, excuse me, Monday afternoon and I'm in my hotel room watching the Miami New England game, and I see that Dan Copeland, the center, you know, breaks his ankle, and I'm like, okay, well, you never want to see anybody hurt, but then maybe it's an opportunity for me, but I don't really play center, so maybe they want to bring a center in. But they kind of, they slid uh, Dan Connolly over to center, and they already had a guard in, so I'm like, well, you know, and so um, Jerome's house was was my agent at the time, so, you know, he's at every Miami game because he lives down there. So it's like literally like 12.30 at night. He calls me and he's like, hey, I just saw Belichick in the hallway and he asked about you and asked where you were and uh, they want to sign you like tomorrow. And I'm like, well, I'm in, you know, I'm in Tampa for this workout. He's like, don't worry about the workout. I'll call them tomorrow morning. We'll get you, you know, get you to the airport and get you flown up to New England. At this point, I'm thinking, you know, Tampa's a 30-minute flight from Fort Lauderdale. I only brought one pair of underwear. I had the shorts on. My shorts, my clothes I had on, I had, you know, a T-shirt in my bag, my my laptop, and that's pretty much it, you know? So I'm like, all right. So I fly up to New England on Tuesday, sign with them immediately, and I'm like, all right, now I've got a hotel room. I have nothing. So I have this stuff sent up to me. Like, you know, I'm at practice Wednesday. Yeah. And kind of like rest is history, you know. I was there for two years, and it was probably the best two years in my career. Wait, so you had no tryout? They just signed you? Oh, I had tried out that, the week prior. No, oh, I tried yeah, yeah, yeah. The Friday before the game. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And, yeah, so they, they they already had you know seen me work out, and I already already taken the physical and all that kind of stuff. So I was 
good to go. Gotcha. So, so you basically went from not playing in 2010, and then you became a starter for the Patriots. Right. Yep. So yep. just just another crazy experience in your career, huh? Yeah. I mean, you know, my Miami um, experience was an okay one. You know, it was just a lot of pressure to get thrown in as a rookie starting. Right. So young, you know, me and Jake Long were the two youngest offensive linemen duos, I think, that year. Yeah. So we went from, you know, there was just a lot of pressure. There was a lot of pressure. And I, I think I handled it decently, but I was kind of battling some, some injuries and still trying to stay out there and be a tough guy. And if I know what I knew now, I was like, if you can't go at 100%, you might as well not be out there. So, yeah. so you know, um, but I was young and just trying to tough it out. So, um, you know, once I got to New England, there was definitely more pressure, but it was kind of like more relaxed because I knew what I could do. Yeah, I, I could play, and I just had to do what I could do, and I was healthy, and it was, it just everything just kind of you know worked. Yeah, for sure. Were you a Patriots fan growing up? No, man. Because honestly, I wasn't even into football growing up. Yeah, I really, didn't, I, I didn't. You know, I didn't more so watch the Patriots. My my dad is a Giants fan. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been to a few Giants games growing up, and you know, he always watched the Giants when they came on, but I was never never had a favorite team. Gotcha. And what about, what was it like playing with uh, Tom Brady and playing for Bill Belichick? It was, you know, you, 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 you knew what was expected of you. Yeah. Um, and if you didn't if you didn't get that done, then you knew what the consequences were. You weren't going to probably be there or you weren't going to be playing. So yeah. that, that pressure alone. Um, and then, you know, just making sure that, you know, you didn't, yeah, you know, you had precious cargo you were protecting. So it was <laughs> like, you know, you had to get it done. So. Um, do your job, they were saying, right? Yeah, just do your job. <laughs> if you just do your job and you do it well and effectively, you'll 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 be fine. Yeah. And I mean, I think that should be the mantra everywhere, but it's not on every team. But it's, there's no favoritism, there's no nepotism, there's no, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just like if you can play, you do what you can do, and you're dependable, then you're gonna play. Yeah, go get there, do your job, go home. <laughs> yep, exactly. So, uh, yeah, you you got to play in the Super Bowl, correct? So, what was that like? Uh, it was surreal. You know, it was a big game. You know, it was uh, it was one that you know was uh, it was a different vibe because it was, you know it wasn't the, the crowd was more so just kind of biased. they were unbiased. It was more yeah. corporate selling, you know, corporate yeah, ticket. Yeah, I heard like that. that the, so it was like they kind of cheer for both teams. Yeah, I heard that Super Bowl crowds are weird because it's yeah. not really fans. It's just like no, it's just you know these big companies coming yeah. in by you know, thousands of tickets for the companies and give them out. And yeah. These people could be Seahawks fans for all you know. And yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just there because it's the Super Bowl. So, but it was a cool experience, though. You know, it's just, you know, the biggest biggest game that everyone kind of aspires to get to every year. Yeah. It was just a letdown to lose it. It was like, you know, I never felt defeat like that before. Walking off the field and having confetti hit you and it's not for you, you know. You look over and see those guys, yeah. you know, so happy and you're just like, dang, you know, we just, you know, had, you know, a 10-month season, basically, and it, it just didn't come out the way we wanted it to. So it was, it, was, it was a tough feel to swallow. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure it was for uh, everybody. Yeah. You were a free agent after that season, right, 2012? Right, yeah. So after the 2012 season, I was a unrestricted free agent, and I was able to, you know, test the free agent waters, which was kind of cool to to be able to see what your what your worth was. Because yeah, then people wanted you now because you were a starter, right? Right, yeah. So it's like, you know, my agent was calling me and telling me, you know, I was going to be happy with wherever I signed. And, you know, this is something that you've shown your worth and you worked hard for and, you know, you deserve it. So it was more so like, you know, it was 
built a sense of arrival, so to speak. Yeah. And I was going into my sixth year, but it took me that long to kind of really, really get a footstep, you know, foothold it in, into the into the league as being, you know, one of those guys that they really want you there, and you know, you know, you're going to be starting, and you can just kind of like relax and just play football and enjoy like, the fruits of your labor, so to speak. So, you know, I was always a guy that was kind of scrapping, clawing, clawing to make sure I made the team during training camp. So. Yeah. I ended up signing a four-year deal uh, to Indianapolis, and it was just a, a great feeling of accomplishment. Yeah. Did you did you want to go back to the Patriots? Yeah, I, was, I did. But at that time, you know, you have to do what you have to do as far yeah. as financially for for you and your future. So, so, so break it down. How did how did uh, you pick the Colts? Well, I initially I wanted to stay in New England. Yep. But I just knew. You know, I, I just knew that other teams were probably going to be, you know, willing to give me more money. So, yeah. you know, honestly, I mean, that's just to be brutally honest. I mean, football is not basketball or baseball where you got these guaranteed, guaranteed contracts. Yeah. There's no guarantee that you can go out there and train, and, you know, and during practice and tear ACL or blow something out and be done for your career. So yeah. you got to get it where you can get it. I kind of, you know, had to weigh my options. And so, you know, it was more so like, you know, I don't even know what they what they offer me. My agent just told me today <clears throat> once he called them and told him what other teams were offering me that they you know, they didn't want to match it. So you know, it was just more so a you know, a, a respectful kind of separation. So it's kinda of like, you know, Cleveland came calling and San Diego called and they were offering and Denver was offering and Indianapolis was offering. And so once, you know, the numbers went up too high for Cleveland and San Diego dropped out. It was between Denver and here in Indianapolis. Denver gave me the, the first best offer. And then Indianapolis gave me an offer, but it was more of incentive-based to get the same number that Denver was going to give me. And so I was just like, no, I'm not taking that because you just never know what can happen. You know, mm-hmm. if you don't hit those escalators or whatever, for whatever reason, you know, you get banged up and you're not going to get what you're supposed to get. So... Yeah, for sure. I was like, well, I was like, well, I told him, I was like, well, I guess we're going to Denver. He's like, we well, don't sound too happy. I was like, well, I really don't want to really go out that far. You know, I'm from the East Coast. I that's just a little too far for me. I'm in the mountains, and yeah. it's just not where you know it's cold, and it's just like uh, I was like, uh, you know, before what I have to do for my career, yeah, I go out there. Yeah. He's like, All right, give me give me a minute, I'll call you back. And call back like 15, 20 minutes, and he's like, well, good news, looks like you're going to be a cult. They matched the offer, so I was like, perfect. So I ended up signing with, uh, with Indianapolis. That's dope. So then, uh, so basically you went from like a legend, Tom Brady, to the future star, Andrew Luck. So what, what was right. that like? It was, uh, it was cool. Uh, you know, to see Andrew so young in his career with so much potential. Yeah. You know, he was even asking me questions about how Tom Brady was, you know, so, you know, it just, he just has a lot of potential. I, I, you know, honestly, like that was another factor, like, to go, you know, protect somebody like Peyton Manning, too, was a lot of pressure knowing, you know, like later in his career, you know, he, he can't afford to take a hit at that time, you yeah. know. So, like, like, do I want to have that pressure on me as well? Not, like, I'm not saying give up the sack, but I'm just saying, like, you know, I just want to go somewhere where there's a young quarterback. It's going to be fun. It's going to be enjoyable. You see him, you know, blossom and all of that. So, um, you know, Andrew's a bright guy. He's a, yeah. He knows the game. He's got every physical tool that you can imagine that you want a quarterback. He's big, he's strong, he's fast, he's, you know, smart. So it was cool. I just, I wanted to be a part of that. And that was kind of like why I really wanted to come here as well. Yeah. You had some bad luck with uh, injuries after that, right? You had like yeah, three so, years in a row or something? 
Yeah, so my first year um, in Indy, I uh, tore my quads in the second second game of the season against Miami, go figure. Uh, <laughs> and I was out for the year. Rehabbed it, came back, and then tore it again the second week of training camp the next season. So I was out again for the year. Came back the next year, I was, they put me on you know PUP, trying to see where my knee was going to be once they were ready to make a decision. And when it was time to make a decision, uh, you know, they just didn't feel comfortable enough to, you know, uh, weigh the risk of me, you know, going back out there and hurt my knee again. So that was just it. And, I, you know, they released me and came home and just kind of decided, like, hey, I think this is it for me. Like, you know, my knee is too banged up. You know, honestly, like, you know, the, the player in me doesn't want to quit. And I didn't think I was quitting. It was just more so of my body, just, my knee just couldn't take it anymore. Um, yeah. And, you know, part of me was like, I wanted to get back out there. But the other part knew that my knee wasn't ready for it yet. Like, now, like, yeah. my, knee can, my knee can hold up for it, but it's just not how it was before I got injured. So there's no point in me trying to yeah. go out there and get risk it. So yeah. I had a couple workouts with some teams um, that year. I didn't sign with anybody, and I just kind of caught it quit. What, what year was this? This is 2015, 16? 15. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and by then, you had, that's when you had your family and stuff too, right? Yeah, so, so, I mean, my daughter was born in 2014. My son was already born. He was born in 2011. So, and I got two babies at home. I was, I was married at the time. And it was just, you know, it wasn't like I was hurting for anything. So, it was just like, well, let me just focus on my family. And I'm still young enough to be with them and, not be, you know, away from them all day and stuff like that. So, you know, I was just like, well, we'll make some things shake around here and do some other business ventures and, you know, try to create some more sources of income. So that was like my next step was literally like that same day that I got released was when I went into my office in my house and I literally like started doing research on like the Reader's franchise and, you know, thinking of what I was going to, what my next step was going to be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So last football question and then we'll get into entrepreneurship. And what made you come about that? So, what do you think about the NFL not allowing players to protest against the against the anthem? I mean, honestly, the way I feel about it is, you know, to each his own. You know, I feel like this is being blown out of proportion a lot more so than it needs to be. You know, it's just one of those things where, you know, I feel like, honestly, for, in my opinion, to protest or not, it's not really going to change anything that goes on in America. Mm-hmm. So guys can protest till they turn blue in the face, but it's not really to me personally. It's not going to change anything. So whether you know they allow guys to protest, whether they don't allow guys to come out there and protest, or you know they find teams, it's not going to change anything. Yeah. So that's like my my thing is like it's not going to change anything. So what are we really making a big deal about this for? But you know, hey, it causes controversy. It causes you know it gives people something to talk about for the media to. Yeah, for sure. Gives them something to write about and blog about and ask <laughs> about. So why not keep it going? So yeah. you know, either way, if I was still playing, I'd still be out there, you know, standing out there for the national anthem. Honestly, that's what kind of got me going. Like that was just part of game day for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, sure. I look forward to hearing, you know, seeing the national anthem, seeing the flyover. When you see those jets go over, you know, it's the game time. Like you know, what I'm saying. So for me, that just became part of life. Yeah. On Sundays. Yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't want to take that away from me because that's what I got accustomed to. Yeah, for sure. So, whether how I feel about, you know, a protest or 
how I feel about, you know, injustices that go on in America, me standing up or not coming out or taking the knee is not going to change anything. That's my take on it. Yeah, so you think players should be doing stuff more off the field? I mean, yeah, but at the end of the day, like, players doing stuff more off the field, on the field, or doing nothing is not going to change anything. People have to change within themselves. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, yeah, we, well, I mean, it yeah. could because uh, there was like this mental health issue with this guy Royce White, and the like. This was 2000, uh, I think, 15 or 14, and the N- the NBA didn't give a shit, right? When he, when he said all this, and then this year, Kevin Love comes out and says something about like mental health and anxiety and all this. And now all of a sudden, everybody cares because Kevin Love and uh, Demar Derozan said it. Right. So it's like kind of funny, like that in that perspective. But yeah, I see what you're saying about like. Nothing's well, going to change until... Yeah, I mean, right, so it's it's more so like a totem pole, right? Yeah. So, the guy you named, I don't even know who he is, but, you know, I, I obviously know who DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Love are. Yeah, exactly. But I'm saying, though, like, at the end of the day, if you can make it to that level, you're an elite athlete, period. Whether you never play a, a snap, a minute, you never get a, in a bat, you never catch a ball, fly, but whatever. You made it to that level, you're an elite athlete, right? Yeah. One percent of one percent of everyone that grows up playing, we all were included. That started playing rec ball. Yeah. You know what I mean? That started playing these organized sports. One percent of everyone in the, in the in the America, the world, where makes it to that final level. As you get older, everybody's weed out. So why treat somebody differently that made it to that level but doesn't have the shine that a LeBron James has or somebody like he's still at the end of the days and we have to make sure he's an elite fraternity yeah. of athletes, people that can say they made it to that level. So I feel like guys who need to really be treated the same and held, held to the same standards. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and that's yeah. a, that's where I think a lot of sports and a lot of the way we weigh, you know, athletes' worth gets misconstrued. Like, you yeah. can't take anything away from that man, you know? Yeah, for sure. He, he clearly has a mental health issue and is overlooked as soon as someone that, you know, makes some, generates more money than everyone knows who he is. They say something. Now we want to wear green and pink socks and neon green so, you know what I mean so it's just like I, to me that, that that's what kind of bothers me about about certain things because I've been learning a lot about mental health in these past years and I'm just kind of trying to understand it you know and it's just yeah. like it's unfortunate that people go through that kind of stuff but they can't help it yeah yeah for sure they need help and people need to understand because like when you don't understand you just say, say somebody's crazy they're not really crazy they just can't help the way that their minds yeah. mind works you know so it's just you know so something that people need to have a more sensitive uh I yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it could work both ways. Sometimes people are too sensitive. Some people are not sensitive enough. It, you know, it's a miracle. So. All right, so let's uh, get into more some more fun stuff. So end of your career, you're chilling at your office. You're thinking about what you're doing next. You decide to open up a Rita's Italian Ice in Indiana, the first one ever, correct? Right. How did you come up with, like, starting for opening a franchise of Rita's Italian Ice? Um, so, you know, I was married at the time, so my, my, my wife at the time, she was, she was like, we were brainstorming, yeah. and she was like, you know, well, what about, you know, Rita's? And I'm like, okay, well, I mean, you know, let's, we'll look into that one, look into, you know, Wingstop, look into a few other ones. I wanted to kind of, wanted to do one that was a little bit easier, so to speak, that had less overhead, it wasn't... Okay. We were dealing with hot food that could go bad and spoil, and you know you got to worry about grease and you know food going bad and just you know a bigger operation. Let's start a little bit smaller, something that we know people can fall in love with. 
when they have it, you know, we just have stuff that's for everybody, whether you're lactose intolerant, whether you're, you can't have sugar, whether, you know, you just want ice cream, we have custard, whether you just want the ice, you know, there's a, you know, something, I've never known anyone to come in here that didn't want a dessert and didn't find something they liked, you know, so I'm just like, well, you know, like, let's try that out. Yeah. So I just started doing my research, looked into it, we met all the credentials, ended up going out there, meeting to the headquarters in Philly, you know, sitting down with them to have like a, like a discovery day. We meet with like, you know, everyone from the different departments. You get to see, you know, a fake store they have in the headquarters. You know, just kind of, you know, seeing if this is what you want to do. And so this is kind of like, I, I knew this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to get involved with something, leave a legacy for my children and open up a whole bunch of these. And so that's why I just, you know, I was like, I'm all in. And decided to do it. And I signed my papers in 15th November. Opened my first store in September 2016. So, so you knew about Rita's because it was in Connecticut, right? Right, yeah. So I, I, yeah, I knew about it too. So it was like one of those things where, like, you know, if I was come home in the summer and I'm driving by, I'm like, I'll just pop in here and get ice cream. <laughs> one of those kind of things. Yeah, I just yeah. walked down the street from uh, where where I grew up at in West Haven on the beach right there. So yeah. they had a nice location. So, you know, it's only four minutes away. So I would just always go over there. Never thought one day that I would own one or own a few of them, but here I am today, you know, a franchisee. Gotcha. So when you first opened it, it was the first one in Indiana, right? Right. So everyone was going wild? Like Dayton, Ohio, yeah. So it's a few hundred miles away. So yeah. this is us. But, you know, surprisingly, there's a lot of people that are from the East Coast that live out here. You know, Indianapolis has a lot of big corporate companies that, you know, get, get people from all over and one is uh, Eli Lilly, a big pharmaceutical company. So they got a lot of lot of people that transplant from the East Coast that already know about Rita. So oh, okay. that's a good thing that, you know, everyone didn't know. Like, everybody was like, everybody wasn't like, oh, what is this place? You know, there were people that were like, you got to try Rita's out. Yeah. You, know, this is, you know, this place is great. We always go there. And, you know, and there's a lot of people that go to destination spots like Hilton Head, North Carolina. They go to, you know, Florida where there's Rita's at. And, you know, they go different locations on the East Coast where they, you know, are familiar with Rita's. Now they have one here in their backyard, so that helps us out too. So, tremendous. Yeah, for sure. You, so, do you own, you own more than one now? So, I bought it for four. I'm currently working on the second one now. In Indiana again? Yeah, they're all going to be out here. Oh, okay. It's pretty big then. Four of yeah. them? Yeah. What would you say was harder, playing in the NFL or running your own business? Huh. <laughs> Yeah. 
run it now to be here constantly. When we first opened, I was here all day, every day. I was here opening and close, and we were opening at 12 and closing at 10. So I'm, I'm really there 14 hour days. The only time I go home was to let the dog out and come right back. And I was doing that for three, four months straight. So you can imagine what kind of toll that takes on your body. Um, you know, even physically, like, you know, I come home, I'd be tired, my feet were hurting. <laughs> yeah. uh, mentally, I was just worn out, you know, so. Yeah. For football, at least it was a few hours I'd go home and relax or go get on the side or get in the hot tub, you know what I'm saying? Go get treatment. But here it wasn't any of that. You know, you're on this on that this hard tile floor and you're making sure that every customer that comes in you got treated the same way because they don't they don't know that you've been here for ten hours already. They don't they've been here for fifteen minutes, you know? Yeah, exactly. You got you know, make sure everyone's happy it's, it's 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 a lot. It's a lot. But I mean I wouldn't take I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, it's something that I feel like is the best thing to happen. One of the be- one of the better things that happened to me yeah. um, after football to keep me grounded and keep me focused on having a purpose. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What advice would you give other athletes starting a new career after playing like a professional sport or even sports in general? Because I know a lot of college like, athletes don't obviously make it to the professional. Thanks. Right. I mean, it's for, it's, it's for anybody. Like, obviously, have a plan. Yeah. You know, I mean, like for me, and I was, I was, I was, you know, a culprit of this. Like when you're getting paid, you know, you know, professional athlete money, yeah. you're not really thinking about after football, or after baseball, or after basketball, like that. Like you know, you yeah. hear about these guys that go broke. You yeah. hear about guys getting divorced and losing half their money. You hear about you know guys that just you know don't or make bad you know investments through you know financial advisors. So you just have to do your research, man. And, and and you just like for guys that, especially in the NFL, like everyone's not getting paid like that. Yeah. Like yeah, like you know, everyone's getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, okay. But there's pe- a lot of people in America, not a lot. But what I'm saying is, there's other people that make more money than you do and have regular jobs. Yeah. So people kind of get, you know, they kind of get like distracted by that, thinking that okay, just because you know I play professional sport. I'm good, you know, I'm getting all these big paychecks during the season. You know, really think about when that money stops, yeah. you know, the average person that has that hundred, couple hundred thousand dollar job, they've been working that job for years. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. they have a little bit more job security. As soon as you get released, you're not getting another check. Hopefully you get picked up by another team, but most likely you're not. And you've been living a lot more lavishly than that person that's been making the same amount of money as you living a normal, regular life. So, Guys have to realize that, like, it's not forever. Yep. There's going to be a time when you're not going to be playing anymore. And you just need to really have a plan. Like, you really need to think about what you want to do. And just don't sit on your butt and, you know what I'm saying, like, when it's over with, yeah. you're not want to do it just because you have a couple million dollars in your bank account. It can, it's going to go. Yeah. It, it's not going to be there forever. Like, you got to think, like, a lot of, the average amount of guys, the age of them, when they're done playing press sport, they're not even 30 years old yet. Yeah. So you have... A couple million dollars in your bank account, you think it's going to last until you're 50, 60 years old? No. Not you know, just, Right. So you got to start doing something at some point to generate some type of income. Whether it's $5,000 a month, a couple grand a month, just have something to kind of offset your your spending and make sure, you, you know, you start living, cutting back on a few things. You can't take as many trips as you want to take. You can't, you know, buy, you know, sneakers or clothes every time you turn around or some piece of jewelry or you know a new car every couple of years like you just can't do that anymore it's just not practical yeah yeah, yeah for sure. so I mean, that's just my advice you know I, I you know i'm honestly for a lot of guys like it goes in one ear not the other so i don't even try to even like when i talk to some people like i don't even like try to sometimes waste my, my breath on it just because i knew how i 
was at that time. Like, yeah, you hear it, but you really don't. Yeah. I just hope that, you know, guys at some point take that step to kind of make sure that they try to secure something for their future. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, more and more every year, like, leagues are trying to help players out more with stuff like that, too. And uh, I think it, I mean, I don't know for a fact if it's getting better or not, but I mean, I feel like it seems like it. Well, I mean, like, you know, you have this, you have those meetings every every year, beginning of the year that everything's required to go to. Yeah. Where they talk about that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But at the time, guys are just ready to go home. At yeah. that point, it's after practice, it's, it's 4.35 o'clock in, in the evening, and you got to sit there for an hour and a half and watch a video and hear, you know, something about planning your future. And, you know, guys just got to check for a few hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Appreciate you coming on, and if you want to shout out anybody, let everyone know where to follow you. Your floor is yours. I'm on Instagram at d thomas underscore boss. On Twitter, but not really. Yeah. Uh, d thomas sixty four. Those are my two uh, social media outlets. But more so, I'm you know I'm on Instagram more so than anything. So. And what about uh, you? Have one for Rita's too, right? Right. I have, it's called Rita's Fishers. Uh, on Instagram at, at Rita's Fishers on Instagram, so I'm definitely up there as well. Um, follow. I'm always posting stuff. So yeah, so you're back. You're back in the gym, right? <laughs> yeah, man. I'm <laughs> back in the gym, trying to trying to you know get my uh, get my sexy back, so to speak. You know, <laughs> when, when you're off, <laughs> when you're off the market for you know ten plus years, and you're not back on, you kind of. You know, you want to just get yourself back. No, I mean, honestly, I just, you know, with working at the store and then, yeah. you know, you know, being on full-time daddy duty at times, it's just like, I just kind of let myself go a little bit. And so I just wanted to kind of just get back and challenge myself to get back in shape and get in better shape than I've ever been. So that's just what I'm doing now is just trying to make sure I'm just as healthy as I can be for my kids and for myself, really. Yeah, for sure. Donald Thomas Fitness coming soon? <laughs> Well, I appreciate the time. and uh, I, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, no problem. And uh, I think people will like this one. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.